What is up, boys and girls? And welcome back to episode 31 of the What You Think podcast. As always, my name is Brandon, and I'm your host, and beside me is my co-host and wife. Oh, am I supposed to say my name? I never know. <laughs> Abigail. Yeah. Oh, goodness. It is so cold in here for being the summer. It's not summer, it's spring. It's miserably cold in It's here. May 2nd. Oh, goodness. Alrighty, on this week's episode, mm-hmm. gonna be a short one. No, it's probably not. But um, we're going to talk about the Adam Sandler movie, Sandy Wexler, which we actually watched for last week's podcast, but forgot about it. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, and then we're going to talk about another new Netflix thing called Casting Jean Benet, which is obviously about Jean Benet Ramsey. Um, and then I am going to briefly touch on the Funhouse documentary, House of Pain, um, for Rooster Teeth first members. Um, but before we do that... Glass, which is the sequel to Unbreakable, and it's in the split kind of universe of movies, um, has officially has officially been announced, and it looks like it's going to come out next year. So, that's cool. Um, only real news as of right now. Um, there's an interesting article on Bloody Disgusting about some of the Evil Dead movies, um, kind of movies that were spiritual successors to that. Um, so that's a good read, but other than that, not a whole lot of movie news recently. So, what do you say we dive on into the first one? What's the first one? Well, let's talk about Sandy Wexler. Okay. Okay. So, just to start off, um, it is a two, not two, it is a 2017 comedy. 2017 comedy. Yes. Um, it's two hours and ten minutes. And it is part of the Adam Sandler Netflix cinematic universe, I guess. Um, and so Sandy Wexler is a talent manager working in Los Angeles in the 1990s, diligently representing a group of eccentric clients on the fridges of show business. Um, that's really about it. Yeah. Um, so this is actually based on Adam Sandler's first real manager. Whose name was Sandy, and then his last name was a W something, who was kind of an eccentric guy, and actually is the reason he ended up on SNL. Um, So, the age-old question, who'd you think? It was okay. Like, obviously it was forgettable enough that four days later, when we didn't write it down on our list of things that we watched for the week, we forgot to do it for the podcast. But, I mean, I'm not a big Adam Sandler fan, I don't like comedy, period, and I really, like, I don't... It's not that I don't like Adam Sandler, but I just, like, I have no feelings for him whatsoever. But it was a it was a nice story. Yeah, so, I mean, with all the movies he's been putting out recently um, on Netflix, The Ridiculous Six, The Do-Over, um, I guess that's the only two he's done. But they both sucked. I mean... Really, his last few movies haven't been good. So this was surprisingly pretty decent, I thought. Yeah. Um, It's kind of a unique take on that era. Um, And it's nice to see all these different celebrities in the same movie. Um, Yeah, Jennifer Hudson was in it as Courtney, the um, success story for Sandy Wexler, which was cool. Uh, she has a great voice, and I always love it when women of color 
get leading roles in Hollywood because Hollywood is shit. So oh god, fuck Paul, uh, fuck uh, Pete Holmes, right? No, we're not going to go back <laughs> to that. We're not going to go back to that. But I mean, it has a star-studded cast. Obviously, I mean, Kevin James was in it, Terry Crews, Rob Schneider, of course, Rob Schneider. I mean, there's a bunch of people in it, and. I don't feel like anybody's just making movies with Adam Sandler because he's Adam Sandler. It's not like he's that influential. So people like are obviously, well, money is probably why people are taking these types of roles. But it's not like it was groundbreaking. It was like I really enjoyed it afterwards, but now like a week and a half later, like I'm like, eh. Yeah, it's like, like whatever. whatever. <laughs> it's really long. It's like two hours long. Yeah, we watched it in two sittings, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think just, I think my biggest takeaway here was that it's an Adam Sandler movie on Netflix that isn't as bad as the other ones. It's his first kind of step in the same direction of Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. Like, kind of those dumber comedies. But dumb as a compliment. Yeah, I guess. So, that's, I mean, it was cool. It was unique. It's got a 5.1 out of 10 on IMDb and a 40 Metacritic. I would put it right at a four and a half. Yeah, I was going to say four and a which, half. Which, you know, isn't a terrible review, but if it's on Netflix, you got two hours to play on your phone and watch it in the background, go for it. But um, hopefully this is a step in the right direction for Adam Sandler movies. You say that, but you've never watched an Adam Sandler movie before. I've seen all of them. <laughs> no, because you told me you've never seen Billy Madison. I saw it way years ago. I mean, I haven't seen them within, you know, a reasonable time frame. But that's not what you told me before. Little Nicky's still the best Adam Sandler movie of all time. Well, obviously, hands down. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's really it about that one. Kind of, kind of a small topic. If you like Adam Sandler, watch it. If not, you're not really gonna miss anything major. Um, but the next thing I want to talk about is definitely more of an interesting story. Um, so this is a documentary that just came out. Less than a week ago on Netflix called Casting Jean Benet. I always almost mispronounce her name. Um, and this is basically, it's kind of their documentary about her murder and what may have happened. Um, but it actually takes place over 15 months as they cast people to do the reenactments as well as show their responses and reflections and kind of interviews on what they think happened or how they react to things presented to them. Right. Um, and it is incredibly unique. It was jarring at first. I didn't want to watch it after we got like five minutes in because I've never experienced anything like this before. That So I was like, oh, this is weird. I don't like it. But the more we watched it, the more I realized that I did like it and... With something as iconic and infamous as the case with Jean Benet, everything is recycled. I mean, you can only tell the same stories so many times. But this has, the people that are cast in this are all locals. They're all Colorado actors. And they all, I don't want to say, oh my god, that was a giant bug. Oh god. Oh, that was so gross. They're all Colorado actors. Colorado actors, and they don't all have ties to the case, but they all are like, yeah, this is where I was, and this is what I was doing, and they lived down the street from my grandpa, and my mom interacted with him, like that kind of thing, so it makes it more intimate, um, knowing that these people, 
like they grew up or they grew with this story and it's a lot more interesting and you can only feel so much for this case but the way that they did this it brings in like a fresh set of eyes almost and it really puts more things into perspective I guess yeah a hundred percent um it's unique it's, it's really unique in the way that they do it like you said um and it's not really a documentary though no. It's like somebody said down here on IMDb in their review, um, they talk about how it's less to do with John Bonet and more to do with the human emotions. Yeah. It's really kind of a court of public opinions for all these people who just happen to be vested in doing this reenactment. Um, you know, they, they kind of propose, okay, well, what do you think about this? And then those people riff on that and their life experiences um, and how either they agree or are completely dumbfounded by, by that even being presented. Um, yeah, and they ran through different scenarios, different um, popular scenarios about what happened, and these actors react. Like, in the case of... Um, who Who is the mother? What is her name? Patsy. Patsy. In the case of the actresses of Patsy, like she, they had a reading where they were reading from her book, and they would read... As in character as Patsy, and they break character and react to what they just read, which was, I thought that was pretty cool, because some of them were like, now this is just ridiculous, she was living vicariously through her daughters, her daughter, and then other people were like, well, this is how I see it, and then you, it like, plays back and forth, and like I said, all of the popular theories about who did it, or what there would be possible motive... They all have their own thoughts, and they talk with each other about it, which is cool, too. Because you've got to see scenes between John and Patsy together. John is in the husband and Patsy together, and they're like, well, I think John would have acted like this. You can see it by the way he did this, and this is why I think he did it. So really, it's all subjective, but they're using evidence and their stories and their memories, and they're building off of each other, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's really different. It's it's a type of documentary format, especially that I didn't know would be so interesting. Um, like you said, when we started it up, I was kind of disappointed because I thought this was going to be their big, um, like the bi- biopic. Yeah, and it's not. Um, like it starts out with them finding somebody, and then it cuts to what seems like the beginning of a documentary. And that's kind of just teasing what you're going to see throughout this. Um, well, yeah, a lot of really informa- a lot of really interesting information was presented. Um, the Santa Claus segment. Yeah, I, I didn't even know that was about... one of the most informative and interesting parts of the entire um, runtime. In my you know, in my opinion, um, really, really interesting, and it kind of brought a different feeling to the whole thing. Um, overall, I think technically doing this in this format is cool and unique. However, I don't know if it's necessarily a format that can thrive with other, uh, No, stories. I think it was tailor-made for the Jean Bonnet case. And there was a really interesting scene at the end, and they show it in the trailer if you watch the trailer, um, that Netflix puts out. But there, what is it called? The the thing that it rolls on, the camera rolls on? Oh, like a slider. Like a slider. Or like a, like a camera cart. It had the set of different rooms in the house, you know, and it's, it's all open so that you can have the camera there. But they had all the actors and actresses together doing ind- individual scenes 
in the house with each other. So you had 16 Patsy Ramseys and 16 Jean Ramseys having different conversations and different fights and going through different scenarios. And they had it all of this happening at once. And then they had the camera pan all the way across. And it was like chilling. It gave me goosebumps to see that. It was really cool. And I think that was my favorite part of yeah. the whole documentary yeah. because it was wrapping up the whole thing. Like it's nobody knows. It's all these different scenarios. It could be anything, but they put it all together because it's all just speculation. Yeah, they really closed the book at the end of at the end of this. They really kind of left it to a here's everything that could have happened and um it really is a court of public opinion. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And it thing. was tactful, though. Like, a lot of times with documentaries that are about cases with children especially, um, just not even unresolved crimes, period, You, it walks a fine line between tact and disrespect. And they definitely stayed on the tact side without being cheesy. Like, it was, it was good. It was, I like the way they did it. I don't know who produced it, but it was, it was great. Yeah, um, it was made by kind of an independent woman who's done another uh, big documentary and a sub-documentary about casting that documentary. Well, jeez. Yeah, so... Talk about milking it. But um, I really appreciate it, too. As some of you may know, I have this relationship with making a murderer Mm -hmm. that is disdain, to say the least. Um, and so I like that they presented this in a way that was just opinion. There was no trying to force facts at us that aren't necessarily true or unbiased. I really appreciated just like, this is all opinion based and this is what we're going to give you. There are a little bit of facts sprinkled in here and there just to set up the scenes. But if you also really pay attention, there is no footage of the real parents. Mm-hmm. There's no footage or pictures of the real John Bonet. There is at the end, very brief, like is there? a split second at the end. Hannah, the main girl who is in the Jean Bonnet reenactments that they're giving, she's dancing. She's the main one. Yeah, she's dancing and she turns and it's either she looks identical to Jean Bonnet because you can tell obviously that she's an actress d- during the whole thing, but they slip some sort of footage or something of Jean Benet in there, and then it goes back to Hannah. It's just very brief, but that's the only thing. Yeah, because overall, it's it's very much just this footage of all these actors, um, and it almost feels like behind the scenes for the most part, which I yeah. think is why it's so interesting. Because we love special features, yeah. so it's basically a special feature documentary, which is yeah, cool. Yeah, hundred percent. Very very interesting, um, and I got a six point six out of ten on IMDb and a seventy four. Metacritic. So the Metacritic is higher than the IMDb, which is rare. Um, and I would have to put this right at a 6? I was going to say a 6, 6.5. I'm so. going to say a 6, personally. Um, and I think just because it's so unique that that's why it gets such a, such a good score. And I really think people should watch it just to see a different type of documentary. Yeah. Um, really, really tasteful and unique and, and very artsy. On top of all the kind of unique storylines you get. But um, not like off-putting artsy. No, 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 no. It's just, it's very well done. Um, and really, that is most of the podcast today. Um, I did want to talk about a documentary I was very excited for, just because I'm part of kind of the big fan base. Um, but Rooster Teeth released the RT Doc House of Pain, which is based on... Uh, Funhouse, who's a YouTube channel. If you follow them, you'll know. Obviously, if you don't, check them out. They do 
uh, gaming, and they're just kind of a comedic channel. Um, but they released a documentary about two of their members who, one of them is filling a lifelong dream of competing in a pro wrestling match, and the other one is kind of just there for moral support. But it's less than an hour doc. Uh, you can get it if you're a first member, or you can get a 30-day free trial on Rooster Teeth's website to their first program, which is, you know, exclusive content and whatnot. But, as somebody who is not really a follower, what did you think? It was interesting. Like, I like pro wrestling, obviously. So, like, I was interested to see these people who aren't pro wrestlers, like, take their spin on it. Um, as far as rooster teeth goes, I can't stand rooster teeth. I have no, like, the, these funhouse people, like, they're okay, I guess. I don't think they're funny in any way, shape, or form. But the House of Pain thing was completely separate in my mind because they're not being dumbasses playing video games. Like, they're not trying to be funny. They're making a documentary. And that's what, that's what, sidebar, that's what I don't like about Rooster Teeth-esque things is people are trying so hard to be funny. It's just annoying. But House of Pain, it just was like real. It was just them being them. And it was really cool because it gives you a look at the actual mechanics of wrestling, pro wrestling. And they, I think, touch base on it. People don't realize that it is, it actually is a contact sport. They're not just all acting. There is theatrics behind it, but it's... It's theatrics and athleticism, and they got, like, they kind of got slapped in the face with that in the documentary. Yeah, it, it was really interesting to see um, James kind of use what he knows about the sport and the industry, um, but also learn so much about something he's so passionate about, and to really change his view on that. Mm -hmm. um, but... I don't know. There's only so much you could say. If you if you have an interest in either them or wrestling, I think it's a really good, concise hour look at not only the indie scene, but kind of breaking into that indie scene. Um, so check it out. It's on uh, Rooster Teeth's website, or you can actually just watch a trailer for it and see what you think um, on YouTube if you just look up House of Pain, H-A-U-S, kind of like the German spelling of house. Um, and then, speaking of pro wrestling let's just briefly since this is a short episode of the podcast let's give just a little bit more information and talk about wwe's payback pay-per-view okay so to uh kind of kick off the night we had um an enzo, an enzo and cast match which enzo and cast um won however very, very uh, boring, not that great. And it's sad because I really would like to see them get more of a push as a tag team. Yeah, but no one's ever going to take them seriously with their get-up, is the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and then we saw kind of the major return of Finn Balor on Miz TV. Whoop, whoop. Uh, a lot of shit-talking, and then obviously Finn attacks the Miz um, in a very tasteful manner, though. Um, and you will see that resolved on Monday Night Raw if you check it out. Not a whole lot to talk about there, but it was an interesting way to kind of bring Finn back into the gist of it all. Mm -hmm. And then the actual show starts, and right off the top, we got what I thought was a big deal match, which was Kevin Owens versus Chris Jericho for the United States title. And they got us with this one. Yes, because before this match, we all knew Chris Jericho was done. He was his. his we thought we knew. Fozzie, his band, is releasing a new album. They're going on tour. 
he wasn't booked any longer for Raw or SmackDown because the contingent, the kind of the contingency plan was, if he won the title, he has to go to SmackDown mm-hmm. where Kevin Owens is. Um, so we're like, okay, it kind of sucks that we know who's going to win, but this will be a good match. You know, big Chris Jericho fans here. But lo and behold, Y2J pulled out a win. He did not get an L. He got a W. And blew people's minds. People were blown away, very, very excited. And he put on Instagram, fooled ya. Yeah. He did. He fooled me. And now we're getting more Jericho. Um, I would assume he's probably going to be a part-timer just because of his tour with Fozzie. But huge shock, huge turn that I don't think anybody really expected. And that was great to see. Um, moving on, we had Neville versus Austin Aries. Don't care. Who gives a shit? I mean, honestly, it's if you're going to watch 205 Live, watch it. But, like, I don't give a shit. And Austin Aries looks like this guy I used to work with when I was a barista. So I can't, like, I can't take Austin Aries seriously. I, I just don't. I just, and I don't like Neville, so I don't care. Um, but Austin won via disqualification, but that means the title can't change hands because you have to win via pinfall or submission. Um, really, it's impressive what they can do because of their size. I love aerial stuff. I love, you know, how agile these guys are, but I just don't care. They don't have that same, you know, presence that the other superstars do. So, good for them. I'm glad it happened, but honestly, I don't really care. And then we had a pretty, pretty good match, actually, which was the Hardys versus... Sheamus and Cesaro for the tag team titles. Yeah, this was a good match. This was a very, very good match. Um, kind of boring at first, but then uh, Jeff got a tooth knocked out with a soccer yeah, kick did. from Sheamus. Uh, we saw Matt Hardy get swung from Cesaro, and then he started bleeding out of his eyes. Um, you know, awesome match. However... Then Jeff nailed the Swanton Bomb to win the match and retain the tag team titles. But that's not when it got good. Because then, lo and behold, through weeks of shaking hands and love and admiration, mm-hmm. it all culminated in Cesaro and Sheamus taking a beautiful heel turn. They attacked Matt and Jeff after the match just brutally and did one of the greatest heel turns I've ever witnessed. Um, and, and it then, carries on the Monday Night Raw. It's really cool. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They went on talking, uh, Raw talk afterwards, talk some shit. Um, Seamus talked about how he's really proud he knocked out Jeff's tooth because he played soccer back in the day and it was a beautiful kick. And it just, the shit talking is so good. Um, but great to see. And then we actually had another kind of interesting event, which was Alexa Bliss and Bailey. My girl, Alexa Bliss. In Bailey's hometown... Um, they had a match for the Raw Women's Championship, and spoiler alert, Alexa Bliss won in Bailey's hometown, and it was honestly one of the best written, I think, storylines right Alexa now. Bliss is such a villain, I love it. She's a really good villain. I love it. She, it's that uh, Columbus pride I have going through me that makes me like her even more, I think, because I couldn't stand her at first, but I love her now. She's like my favorite, and she's just so... See you next Tuesday, E. That it just, she's so lovable. She's such a villain that she's lovable for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big fan of her. Big fan of Nia Jax. And I'm hoping that Team Rude gets together pretty soon, um, which is the two of them as a tag team, obviously. Um, then we had Seth Rollins and Samoa Joe, which I didn't know was a match until the clip Whatever. came up for it. 
super boring, couldn't care less. I respect the fact that Joe did a lot of time in the indie scene, but I don't like him, and I feel bad. But every time he puts somebody in a coquina clutch, I want to turn it off. Like, I don't give a shit, stop. And I think because they had that be such a powerful move for so long, it lost any sort of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, Seth Rollins rolled Joe up after a failed coquina clutch to get the three count. Super boring, super bland. However, I do like seeing Seth kind of finish his Triple H Samoa Joe issue and is moving on to bigger and better things, as you'll see in Monday Night Raw. Um, now with him and Dean Ambrose and Finn Balor and The Miz. So that's cool. You know, we're getting a new storyline, a new dynamic. And then we have probably the worst thing that could have happened to any of us. Oh my god. Which was literally a nightmare, and not because it was well done, but because it was so bad. The House of Horrors. Yes. Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton's House of Horrors match, which is literally just a house with bad lighting. A meth house. Yeah. Honestly, such a joke. This segment, what's the number one thing you should do at a live event? Um, put pre-recorded footage up. Yeah, exactly. So fucking absurd and ridiculous. I can't believe they did this. However, eventually they do get back to the arena, and after dropping a fridge on Randy, Bray is convinced he's going to win, so he shows up in the ring, uh, you know, thinks he has this. However, Randy Orton shows up with a chair, beats him a little bit, still a boring match, and then Jinder Mahal and the Bollywood Boys come out of nowhere, or the Singh Brothers. They keep branding these guys differently each week so we'll see what they're really called um but they attack orton jinder mahal comes in and beats him up with the championship that isn't his it's orton's and then leaves with it again and bray wins so as much as i don't like jinder because i'm not supposed to his dynamic right now is awesome i'm loving yeah i'm loving this orton and jinder kind of feud um but just just a bad match overall. And then, last but not least, the last thing we're going to talk about today is the Braun Strowman-Roman Reigns <laughs> match. And I'm going to let you give me your opinion on this one. Why? I just want to hear what you have to say. Um, I don't know. Like, I felt bad for... I felt kind of similar to the Roman Reigns-Undertaker match for WrestleMania just because, like, Roman is such a good actor that, like, I I truly believe, like, he's injured and that he's getting hurt. Like, he sells it so good. Which is great because, like, I got really emotional during it because, like, I'm not the biggest Roman Reigns fan, but I like Roman Reigns. I'm a fan of his. So it just, like, it sucked to see Braun Strowman beat the crap out of Roman Reigns. But at the same time, like, it's great for the universe because everybody else hates Roman Reigns. Yeah. And this whole Braun Strowman push has been great. Like, I love it. And I love Braun Strowman as much as he creeps me out. But it was just brutal. Like, Roman got the crap kicked out of him. Yeah, so to summarize, um, Braun and Roman had a match. And Braun obviously dominated the whole thing. And Roman kicked out in the last minute at the end of the match. And Braun decided to punish him for that, so he beat him with the steel steps. He coughed um, up blood. He just or he had a cut over his lip or it's, something. It's hard to tell, but it, it they were selling internal injuries. Yeah. Um, but he beat him with the steel steps, and then later, actually on Raw Talk, after the pay-per-view ended, he put him, uh, you know, Roman was near an ambulance, and Braun ripped the door off. So, just this, this brutalness from Braun Strowman, and the injury from Roman... 
whether it's real or not, was still very, very impressive. And the Braun, uh, Braun storyline, my bad, is great to see. Mm-hmm. I'm curious as to who the hell they're going to match him up with. Yeah, because he's taken out the big show. He's taken out everybody. Everybody like, big. Has he fought... Um, Lesnar. Yeah, Lesnar. Him yeah. and Lesnar have had a couple bouts like of intimidation. But my thing is, because Lesnar's a shitty part-timer... Are you right, really which is brought to... up on Monday Night Raw about how Lesnar's a shitty part-timer. Like, I don't know who to have take out. Someone's going to have to take out Braun Strowman with wits and not strength. And there's a lot of people that can do that. There's a lot of... I think Finn. There's a lot of yeah. fast-on-their-feet, smart people, characters, I guess, because they're they're portraying a character. Yeah. That could take out Braun Strowman. It's just, they're really high on the Braun Strowman thing right now. Which and I they, love. And they should be. I, I think it's great because he just, he's like no nonsense. There's not a lot of flair and frill yeah. with him. I, I'm thinking he's my, he may get a couple weeks off because they say he tore his rotator cuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know how true that is, obviously, because it's wrestling and a lot of these, um, diagnoses are complete bullshit but I, I wish they wouldn't have booked him as brutal as he has been because you know he has no more competition left yeah that's my only big concern but big fan i hope they keep pushing him but i hope they maybe slowly taper down his power so that he has some reasonable competition or yeah. make other people more powerful as well but with that being said, that is the end of the podcast for this week. Just about 30 minutes, so a little on the short side, but we did kind of fill you with some good info this week. Follow us, tweet at us, at WIT Show, and email WITShow at gmail.com. Questions, comments, concerns, and recommendations. Isn't that right? Right. All guys. We will see you next week. Shalom.